Hey, this is John Levin of Dawkin, and you're watching CMS TV. Heaven comes down with uh, Fugitive, and uh, is our Fugitive with us or not? He, I, I see his, his screen and I see him walking around, but he's not in front of the camera yet. <laughs> maybe he is. I, I don't know. It's real dark. Uh, I'll try it. Here we go. Outside, because Jennifer's watching the story of the Paris, what is it? Notre Dame burning down. <laughs> you know, you know. Sorry. I'm outside. Let me uh, let me turn the lights on. <laughs> he's like a he's like a drone in a beehive. He gets right. out to the cold. <laughs> been pushed out. Pushed right. into the cold. Is that better? That's better. Hello, sir. That's all the lights I got out here in the patio. Can't help you, Chris. No, it's all good. <laughs> We were just talking about how the bees and the beehives uh, kick the drones out into the cold, and you must be the drone of your hive there, uh, Don. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I got bit by a bee <laughs> a month ago, and I still have this big-ass red mark on my arm, and it's just starting to heal. A month. <laughs> and I'm like, you little bastard, I wish I could have caught him. <laughs> I would have took in a pair of pliers and and put them in the oven and baked them. <laughs> Auschwitz, Auschwitz style. Wow. <laughs> See, this is why you're so controversial. Just saying stuff like that and get people all upset. Yeah, I'm sorry you can't see me better. I mean, no, you're good. You're no, good. Yeah, well, we can see you. We can see you. I could turn the camera around this way. <laughs> no, I ain't gonna fucking help. No, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, hey, I'm on your patio, boss. I can't help it. <laughs> well, yeah. Don, uh, it, it's it's been a long time coming that uh, finally, after two years of having this album ready to go, it's finally gonna come out in about a week and a half. Or oh, there I am. There you are. Oh, I just had to turn the uh, screen light up. <laughs> how about that all these you know 30 years recording you know albums with 72 tracks and i'm still trying to figure out how to work the goddamn macintosh <laughs> yeah i i've worked pro tools i've uh, recorded yeah. the bands but to, to work a macintosh camera that's like foreign to me <laughs> well i know how to do it the problem is with my hand as we know, this is my good hand. Looks right. Good. Here's my right hand. Ow. It's pretty fucked up. Well, at least you keep your pimp hand strong. Yeah, but I like to jerk off my right hand. This is my right hand. It's so like I'm a new like, person now, right? Yeah, it's like I'm cheating on myself. <laughs> it's like it doesn't. I'm telling you, it doesn't feel the same. Try it sometime. <laughs> if you're right-handed or left-handed and you want to go play with yourself, use the other hand. It's like, it's not the same. 
it's like it's a stranger. Yeah, it's like a stranger. So, but you see, you see how bad it is. Yeah. But you know, compared to three years ago, it was like that. My yeah. Kids, remember when you came out for Thanksgiving, Wendell? Yeah. And my, my hands were in a fist. So slowly over a year watching TV, I, I just pull on my fingers and I'm kind of impressed because this finger's straight now. I just got to hold it that way. But, you know, I've come to accept that that communist bastard Chinese doctor screwed <laughs> me up. I can't say his name or the hospital because I'm in a lawsuit, but I, I find it's what I call it, ironic that I remember Jessica and Tyler, my, my kids, I was going into surgery and I was just going under under morphine. I looked up at him. I said, dude, just do me a favor. Don't kill me and don't paralyze me. Well, I got half. <laughs> Jesus. Well, can they, can they not do more surgery or is it that you just don't have time to do that? Or, or what, where, what, Are you what kidding is stopping me? I got time with the fucking world. Been three and a half years. They severed the nerves at the base of my spine. Okay. You know, you had you had your health issues, and you know what's going on with surgery. Yeah. Um, they it was C three C four, very common surgery. You guys might remember my old road manager. He had the same problem. Hands were going to sleep. His leg, and. Uh, they just chopped it all off, all the nerves, thousands and thousands and thousands of nerves, and but they just severed them. Oh. So my arm is paralyzed from my right shoulder down. But and the guy said, "Well, they go back, they grow back two millimeters a week." And I measured my arm, and I said, "Okay, so when I'm 120, my hand will be back." Jesus, <laughs> assholes. But the guy really screwed up. And then I did all this investigation with lawyers, and it turned out the guy, the top guy, he didn't do the surgery. Oh. I'm like, well, who cut? So I get these $150,000 medical bills. You know, when you get out of med school, they have a thing called the fellowship, you know? So you have to cut. You have to practice this, but right. and some guy, you know, cut me, and the big top surgeon just oversaw it. Well, he must have been watching YouTube when he watched him. <laughs> he was watching. He's saying, "I'm sorry, I was watching the new Michael Schenker video." I booked him. <laughs> so when I woke up, yeah, they had severed. The sad thing is this hand. You know, my left hand, what started this whole thing, it, I actually had the Ronnie James Dio thing like this, you know? Right. I had the Ronnie James Dio thing like this. thing, yeah. And I was having a hard time with these two fingers. They kept cramping, and I was having a hard time. And then I brought out, you know, on that Queensryche tour acoustically, I brought out my very good friend, and I'll stick up for him as far as a, Amazing singer, amazing musician, piano, singer, everything. I brought him on tour with me. But like, and I was on the Queensryche bus, 
But like every night we'd be standing at the bus getting ready to leave. And I had Kelly Killing with me and I turn around and go, anybody seen Kelly? I mean, dude, I'm telling you, he'd be standing right behind me. And I turn around and go, where's Kelly? He's gone. He's gone. He's in the wind. Wow. You know, somebody walk up to him and go, hey, man, I got some blow. <laughs> NBA. And he go, you know, he's just like a zombie. Cocaine. <laughs> and he just follow around the corner and disappear. One of the worst times we were playing in Austin. And uh, we we're getting ready to leave. And it's not my bus, man. I'm not in control. And I turn around. I said, what happened to Kelly? We waited and waited. We had to go, man. Uh, he called me two days later. <laughs> <laughs> I did two shows without him. And he's like, Don, I'm at the police station. What happened? You get arrested? He goes, no, I, I, I had a key, a room key. And I remember it was called the Flamingo. And I told the taxi, you guys were gone. You left me. So I went to the Flamingo Hotel, but it turned out to be a hotel motel called Flamingo, like in a really bad part of town. <laughs> and they dropped him off in like a ghetto and he had no wallet, no cell phone, oh, nothing. Man. So the police department called me and said, can you verify this is Kelly Killing? So I had to go and stop and, you know, scan his license scan his shit you know so he could get on an airplane because wow. you have to have id you had no id right i said kelly i love you dearly you're a great musician but man you are a pain in my ass <laughs> and it cost me like seven hundred dollars to fly him for an hour and i said kelly 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 you're so talented when you know baton rouge and all that and you know, he's a great singer, and he came out and helped me out on the guitar because my left hand was going. And he just would, you, he, I, he told me when he's on the uh, TSO tour, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Yeah. And he had a, like a cool spot where he came on stage with a tuxedo and a piano, and he sang, you know, Hallelujah or, you know, some Christmas song. And then they'd walk him on stage. Then they'd walk him back off the security guard, put him on the bus and lock the door. <laughs> That's no bullshit. They're like, take Kelly from the bus to the stage. And when he's done, put him back in the bus and lock the door because he will disappear. Jesus. Well, at what point, Don, when it comes to being a talented musician, do people go, you know, you're very talented and all, but you're more trouble than you're worth. At what point does, does that happen? And that happens. You know, I, uh, I flew him uh, into L.A. to stay at my house in L.A., put him in a motel, and we start working about 4 or 5 in the afternoon. And at 10 o'clock, he's still not there do background vocals and do some writing. And I have to get in the car and drive to the motel, which is a mile away. And I'm banging on the door and he's like, he's asleep. I'm like, Kelly, we have a session. Oh, I haven't slept all day. What's the problem, Kelly? Well, there was a crack in the curtains. There was a crack and the sunlight was coming through. And I'm like, you're shitting me, right? I couldn't sleep all day. 
you know, and I'm like, well, that's why we use clothespins. We always have a, you know, a bag of clothespins on all tour buses. Because, you know, the curtains sometimes don't close all the way. Right. So you take a couple of clothespins, you close it and get some dark. And, and I said, Kelly, 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 <laughs> you know, and then I got my phone bill. You know, I think the room was like $69 a night for a week. And my phone bill was $2,000. <laughs> and I said, well, how's that possible? He goes, well, I lost the charger to my phone. So, he, you know, anybody knows stay in a motel. You start using the regular phone. It's like $2.50 a minute. Right. And I had the laugh when I saw the bill and it said 12 o'clock, 1210, 1215, 1220, 1225, 1235, and, you know, I can name you 10 musicians that I won't throw under the bus, but I realize people like that, great talent, but, you know, it's the drugs, man. It's the drugs. Is part of it that the, that the talent outweighs the sense of responsibility? They, they rely a little too much on their talent and don't put any stock at all into anything else? I don't think so. I just think it's an addiction. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> it was funny because Kelly would finally show up at my house at like six in the morning and he'd be all like, hey, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I, and I've been sleeping all night going, dude, it's 6 a.m. And we actually sat down, I remember, in my living room with an acoustic guitar and we wrote uh, Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, my friend. And we wrote Goodbye, my friend. It's six in the morning. Banged it out in a half an hour. He had all these great ideas. It was great. I was writing lyrics. He's writing lyrics. And good my goodbye, my friend. We wrote it in a half an hour. It was great. But he was coming down. But, you know, like I tell everybody that does Coke, whatever Coke was in the 80s, you probably got it from Carlos Escobar. You know, right. I mean, hey, I have my day. When I was 20, I quit doing that shit at 20. But I remember it was like rocks and you'd slice it and had this abalone color and all this shit. And then I'd see the band, Mick and Jeff and George, go through their eight-year huge drug addiction. And sometimes Mick would just ask them in the audience for a Coke. And I'd look at it, i go, that looks like toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. And then, you know, the whole thing came in is that they cut it with speed and amphetamines. And I said, I don't get it, Mick. When I did Coke for my, when I was 20, 21, you know, I could do a couple lines and have three hours of sex with my girlfriend until she said, stop, I'm done. <laughs> no more. Because I was ready to rock. And I could just roll over and go to sleep. But it all changed in the 80s. You know, they were putting shit in it. And that's when I stopped, you know. But I don't know. And then I saw eight months ago a blurb. Come, Kelly Killing 
arrested for murder. <laughs> I went, holy shit. So I tried to hunt him down and apparently he was in some house with a bunch of druggies and somebody, the wife's mother had a stroke, the father had a stroke. And instead of calling 911, they just let him lay there oh. for like 24 hours having a stroke and he died. So of course, anybody in the house was, they wanted to arrest him for what they call involuntary manslaughter. So Kelly went on the lamb. Sorry, Kelly, if I'm throwing you under the bus. <laughs> and, uh, and Kelly took off. They arrested everybody. Kelly took off. And about a week later, he turned himself in. He said, look, I was just sleeping on the couch, man. And he was. But they arrested everybody because the wife just let her husband have a stroke and just instead of calling 911, they just let him die in the bed. But that's what happens when you're hanging out with drug addicts. Yeah. Wow. Not good. <laughs> and then I checked back a month later and it said, Kelly Killing, released from jail. Because <laughs> <laughs> Don Dawkins bailed him out <laughs> again. <laughs> again. <laughs> but uh, I really honestly have a lot of respect for Kelly Killing. In my opinion, good looking guy, could sing like a mother. He had all these great ideas. Man, when he was on in the studio, he was just writing down lyrics like crazy, you know? And I thought, this is a good influence. We could collaborate. And then he would show up, and he's just got nothing. He's just dead. So I hate to see that. Uh, I know I was thinking of two famous musicians. I actually sang on one of his records. Uh he had put out an album called Good Thank You. And it was a Michael Shanker acoustic album. Right. And he just knocked out a bunch of acoustic songs. And there was one song I thought, wow, this song is great. And I saw Michael and I said, I know you put the record about, but, you know, I'd love to write lyrics to this song, you know. And he said, yeah, go ahead. So I wrote lyrics. I sang it, sent it to Michael. Actually, I wrote four songs on the record. But he liked uh, the song I wrote called, I uh, can't remember the name of the song. And it was really a cool song, you know. He'd made a video sitting on steps in Italy. And I wrote lyrics. And and I actually wrote them about Michael. Because everybody knows Michael had his. His problems, right? His problems for many, many years. And. I basically wrote a song about Michael and the lyric was like, call to Jesus. No one answered. Must be a holiday. Call to Joseph, call to Mary sleeping. I guess. Okay. Where have all the people gone that I used to know? And it was like a song about him trying to maybe reach out to God and get some input and some help. And it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek song, my lyrics. But I wrote him about Michael, and he loved it. And he put it on one of his records. And uh, But I've known Michael a long time, since Blackout album. And uh, it's one of those typical things. You're a genius, but you just can't get it together. 
you know. Boy, that that song is also on your solitary release. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> that was a long time ago, right, Don? <laughs> wow, are you sure? I'm positive. <laughs> I've been driven by a few wild horses. Yep. Tramp, trampled under my feet. Right. It's on. Where do all the people go? Try to find relief. All my life. The, the mistakes I've made. Uh, it's someday. Yeah. And so I wrote it for Michael. It was his song. And we were going to do the whole record. And I wrote lyrics for almost half the record. But Michael loved that song the most. And, uh, you know, he played this, you know, Michael's a genius. I mean, he wrote these uh, amazing acoustic songs. I remember the lyric and the music was da 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 and I wrote the lyrics and Michael liked it and I wrote three more and and uh it's funny because he got offered like a huge amount of money to redo that record with me singing on it. So it'd been the Michael Schenker Don Dawkins record, and they offered him like fifty thousand dollars. And he said, no. I said, Michael, you've already written the music. It's done. You don't have to do shit. All I got to <laughs> do is just write lyrics for your songs and get your 50 grand and put it out. No, no, no. I want more. I need at least 150. And I went, I don't think you know what's going on in the record business these days. So he passed, never put it out. So that was the only song that he put out with me singing on it. And I, I thought it was a mistake, but, you know, I love Michael. Everyone makes their own decisions. And, uh, but that was it, you know? So anyway, I have my fond memories of me and Kelly having lots of coffee in the morning, writing that song, wrote it in 20 minutes, came out great. And then I remember I took him back to the hotel because he was tired and he just disappeared. Wow. And he called me about a month later. He goes, I'm back in Mat Baton Rouge. And I'm like, okay. And by the way, you left me a $1,000 phone bill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not impossible. I only talked to people for two minutes. I said, yeah, you talked to 200 people for two minutes. <laughs> you know? And you're calling from the hotel phone, and they charge you a fortune. Uh, poor Kelly. <laughs> well that that goodbye my friend of course that ended up on the long way home release which you know was a disaster in itself since that hard drive got smashed during transport and you had to oh, grab, man. grab up a bunch of your solo songs that you're going to do for a solo record and you are right you know me better than me and the hard drive got destroyed half the songs wouldn't play it was just a freaking disaster but <laughs> So I had to write more songs and, you know, things happen like that. I mean, it was a miracle when I put out the lost tapes, you know, three years ago during COVID. I was working on Heaven Sent, Heaven Comes Down. And I, I told many people, you know, I was moving out of L.A., going to New Mexico, and everybody's packing up all my shit in the garage. And I found this tub. And I open it up and I see these two inch tapes 
which are extinct. And it all said Michael Wagner, Hamburg, Germany, Tennessee Thon Studios, 1979. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so I put those reels of tape up and uh, and did the lost tapes. It's not a great record. It's in, but as a Dawkins fan, if you want to see where I came from, my first demo, this is kind of interesting. And, you know, when tapes sit for 40 years, people don't know, they're magnetic. And if you leave a two-inch tape cooking in the garage for 40 years, it just kind of sticks together like glue. Right. <laughs> and you can't play them. So we had to put in these convection ovens for three hours and try to unglue it. And when Davis said, I'm going to put it on my machine, because he had a two-inch machine, he goes, you're going to get one pass. So we put it on. And he said, I'm going to transfer it to the hard drive, but no one guarantees that the, the tape just disintegrates. So we got one pass out of it, and we did the lost tapes. Well, you were lucky you were able to recover what you did, because I know there was more stuff that was on there that just didn't make it. But, you know. No, that was the problem. There were some pretty cool songs, but the machine was playing, and all of a sudden I hear... <laughs> The tape just kind of fell apart, and I went, uh, I don't know what song that was, but it's effed. <laughs> so, you know, but I ended up with the 10 songs and put out the lost tapes. But for a hardcore fan to see what I wrote when I was 22, you know, it was okay. When I heard it and we mixed it, I had to laugh, though, because my, my voice sounded like Mickey Mouse, you know? <laughs> Because my voice was so high, you know, and I was so young. And I was like, uh, okay. So we put it out. It actually, unbelievable, sold 100,000 copies. Wow. And, you know, these days when a band comes out on an album brand new, they're lucky they sell 10,000 copies. Yeah. Well, so, the, the marketing yeah. was, was pretty good for it because – you know, they, they did offer some physical, you know, physical materials with it because I have, have the artwork hanging on my wall up here with the little plaque that it's a, you know, a numbered, a numbered, uh, uh, copy and different things. Yeah. Like that. So that kind of helps in marketing. I mean, like the, uh, heaven comes down, uh, the pre-orders like through Amazon, they're offering the the vinyl, which I bought both the vinyl and the CD copy, uh, which will be delivered next week. Yep. So I just signed, uh, I don't know, about six years, days ago, they shipped me uh, like 24 test pressings. And they did them in audio files. So they're really, really high-quality vinyl, dense plastic. And we did 24 and they're all numbered one through 24. Okay. So they're really, really going to be rare. And I just shipped them off to Chris and BJ and everybody signed it. John signed it. So they're all signed the sleeves. Like you said, it's a test pressing. And that's like coming right off the, right off the press. And I had to go find a, a music store to find a damn turntable because I don't have one. <laughs> And I go, a turntable? I don't have a turntable. Where do you buy a turntable? 
hawk shop. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we have lim uh, very limited thing. If you got it, you got one of 24. So, and, you know, those, I did that a couple of years ago, and they were selling for $300 a copy. So, because, uh, you know, it's a collector's item. It is. You know, once you get it, and when those 24 are gone, that's it, folks. So I just did that a, uh, about a week ago and shipped them out. So I guess one's on its way to you. <laughs> <laughs> on on uh, Heaven Comes Down. And it's just been, wow. I mean, I've been doing interviews from 10 o'clock in the morning. I get my press till five o'clock in the afternoon, one after the other. And they're all 30 minutes. And a lot of these people, unlike you, apparently, well, you know, people download Zoom for free, but you get 30 minutes. That's it. Right. After 30 minutes, he asked me a question. I'm going, well, I was a click. It just turns out. <laughs> and I'm like, these are really big, major magazines. And I'm thinking, you can't afford to pay $75 a year to have unlimited Zoom. Are you kidding yeah. me? I did, I did some crazy countries. Poland, Czech, Slovakia, Italy, Spain, Germany, Switzerland. I've done all the big magazines. But I always laugh when I can see the counter going and it's like <laughs> you got 10 seconds and and they'll go okay now my last question is explain every song on the record what's it about <laughs> i'm like in 10 seconds mm, can't do it boss when you go buy the record click yeah yeah <laughs> buy the record get it on amazon or like the assholes download it for free which I hate, uh, you know, haven't, you know, haven't come. What's the first thing? Oh, Fugitive. Fugitive. Fugitive's out. Gypsy's out. out. The animated. Uh, I didn't know what would happen with Gypsy because they gave me like $5 to make the video. <laughs> I shit you not. And I, they gave me the budget and I'm like, so are you supposed to, film this on GoPros or my, my iPhone. And they go, we do videos like that, you know, all the time. I just saw the new priest cover and it's just their album cover with flames fl flying around in the cover sure. flames, and it's just got the lyrics cost nothing. But I figured if it's our last record and we're going to do videos, it should be a killer video. So we went to Meow Wolf. I called my old friend Tom Strickfadden, who's retired. And he was a, you know, very well-known cameraman. He did Live from the Sun. He did One Live Night. And I called him up, and I flew him out to New Mexico, and he stayed in my guest house. And he brought all his cameras and his gear and his GoPros and his steady cams, and, and we filmed at Meow Wolf. And... Right. The record company said, we don't have the budget for this. And I said, don't worry about it. I have this little thing in my drawer. It's called a checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And right next to it, I have this thing called credit cards. <laughs> so, you know, but I, I made my point to the label with these little budgets. 
And I said, I don't give a shit what the video cost. You know, we haven't made a record in 10 years since Broken the Bones, and I'm not putting out a video with the lyrics going across it. Right. So we made Fugitive, and it's interesting, and, you know, and Tom edited it for me, and and I think we hit a half a million in three weeks. Yeah, it's it's done really well on, online. Uh, I, I want to go back to the one thing you said, Don, because – I know you've told us for 15 years this is the last record. Before Broken Bones, you told us this was the last record. So yes, what, I did. what makes you think this one is versus two years from now when you get the itch again? Well, yeah, I thought Broken Bones was our last record, mainly because when it came out, it was just downloads, Apple, and I was frustrated that you know, you put the record out on Monday and it's uploaded on Tuesday and everybody can just download it for free. Right. So after Broken Bone, I said, what's what's the point? You know, financially, there is no point. Everybody can get it for free. So, you know, 10 years went by, but not all the 10 years. You had COVID for two years. Uh, you know, my arm got paralyzed. That's common knowledge. You know, I can't play guitar anymore. I can't right. write. Right. I got. I sent my PM. I had a Steinway piano. I shipped to my daughter because she's a concert pianist, and I sold all my twenty guitars, kept one, which we call the Wolf, and uh, and my Espana uh, nylon that I broke bought in a hawk shop when I was eighteen. So they're near to near and dear to me. So I kept one acoustic guitar one electric guitar. I'm still trying to figure out how to play with one hand. I haven't figured it out yet, but, uh, you know, I've gone to the Mayo clinic, uh, all the hospitals and I actually talking about why I didn't pretend here. I lost my hand. Look at it. It's, it's fucked. You know, I mean, this is it. This is all I can do. I can't even hold a pick. So, I finally found some hospital that does uh, stroke victims and spinal injuries. And they built me a special glove that I can put on with springs on it and all this stuff. And then you put a glove on your left hand so I can go like, like this and this and this. Whatever I do with my left hand if I want, the right hand will mimic it. Okay. That's that's the million dollar man shit, right? <laughs> is that is that like therapy or is that like for use purposes? It's for it's just to try to make your hands, your fingers straight because they're all crooked. Okay. Right. See, the bottom line is it's what's all this whining noise? <laughs> Bentley, it's Bentley over there laying in his bed having a nightmare. So. They sent me this thing with a left glove and a right glove with a computer in the middle. It's wireless. So whatever I do with my left hand, like if I want to grab a cup with my right hand, I can use my left hand and my right hand will mimic it, which is pretty cool. And uh, they said, and if I want to make my fingers straight like this, you know, and want these to go straight, it will actually try to force my fingers straight. So I just got today, 
the Mayo Clinic did it for me, and uh, we'll see what happens. They said it'll probably straighten your fingers out in a couple months, but I still won't have any strength because my whole arm's paralyzed all the way up to the shoulder. So it's not going to help me playing guitar, but at least I'll be able to jerk off again, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I use my left hand (laughs) and stroke. Get a broom handle for the left hand and your dick in the right hand. My left hand, I'll stroke. And the right hand will do the stroking. (laughs) Kind of weird shit technology, man. But uh, I've come after three and a half years after the botched surgery. I've accepted that I'll never play guitar again. But I keep telling myself I played guitar for 50 years. And I wrote some great albums and I wrote some great songs. And yes, the guitar was the love of my life. I had one next to my bed, living room, and there were guitars all over my house. But those that ship has sailed. So I'm just grateful that we were able to finish Heaven Comes Down, you know, because I only had pieces of songs, a verse, a chorus, a bridge that I had recorded before I had surgery. And John and I just went through every hard drive I had five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. Oh, that's a cool riff. That's a cool riff. That's pretty cool. And then John would just take it and run with it. And John wrote, you know, half the songs on this record. I mean, John wrote a lot of the music. I just wrote the lyrics and sang. And so it was a band effort. But yes, it's it's difficult when he says, I'm listening to the song. What's that chord there? And what is that chord? And I'm like, uh, F minor seventh, E flat. I don't fucking know. know? It's a chord and it kind of looks like that, you know? So that was kind of depressing, but the, the, the good news is, you know, it could have been a real wacky album, half ass put together, and, you know, COVID was a terrible thing, but it gave us the luxury of spending two years writing 27 songs and narrowing it down to the 10 best. Actually, 14. We had 14 killer songs. And the label says, we only, we only want 10. Excuse me. You're interrupting me, Bentley. <laughs> what do you want? Hang on. What do you want? You want in? I'm the butler. Yeah, we'll take a break. (laughs) Yes, your majesty. Yes, your majesty. Yes, I'll close it. Only on this show. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Three dogs are... They know how to open the door. (laughs) Bentley especially. I put handicap uh, handles on all my doors in the house. It's like... He's whining. I can hear him going, oh. Uh, so I put the handicap handles are like a long lever. I just have to push on it, and the door opens. Well, freaking Bentley figured it out. <laughs> nice. I had the laugh, you know, because I have a GPS on my phone, and so does Jen. And I'll say, Bentley has left the five-acre area. You know, he's all fenced off. How in the hell did he get out? He figured out how to take his muzzle 
and push on the handle and the door pop open. Dog smart. So, and you know, when they get out, they don't just walk outside, they bolt. And within right. five minutes, they're two miles away from the property. So, you know, we got coyotes and bobcats and bears and, you know, so he's a smart dog. Anyway, that's that with that. <laughs> well, I noticed, you know, you, you mentioned you've been doing a ton of interviews, which I see a new interview pop up every day. And man, have the, I. the, the interesting thing that I found the common thread with the, with the interviews is number one, there's a lot of younger interviewers who interviewed you. And number two, it's all history. You know, they, everybody wants to talk about history, the history of docking, you know, well, what was it like playing with George back in, and when did you meet him? And how was it like playing with the scorpions? And I mean, it's all old stories that are out there that have been going on for 30 plus years. And yet they talk about, or ask questions as if that just happened yesterday. Yeah. Very frustrating. You know, I, I, I interview with the major magazines in Europe, like Metal Force and Kerrang! and the big magazines first. And then it starts trickling down. And then I see the guy on the Zoom and I'm like, what are you, 20? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're right. They'll start asking me questions about this and this and that. And I'm like, didn't you do your homework? <laughs> I understand they weren't born when I wrote Breaking the Chains, but you know, if you're a proper, proper journalist, you do your homework because yeah. we only got 30 minutes. I tell them I got 30 minutes, man. And then I got Italy and I got Spain and I got Poland and I got Czechoslovakia. And they're asking me about the past. And I'm like, it's all on the Internet, man. <laughs> you know, just just spend an hour and read about us. And, you know, yeah. if I hear one more person get on zoom and say so why'd you guys break up I go, oh, you know what that's a two-hour conversation don you ought to make up a different answer every time you're asked that yeah every, just make it up just lie to him you know what chris you're right <laughs> i should i should punk him yes just just tell anything. Uh, you know, Jeff had a baby and then he um he killed it and he was sad and you know we had to just bury it in the backyard. Yeah, just make up anything. <laughs> and then I was constipated one day on the tour and I pushed too hard and I got terrible hemorrhoids and you know, every time I went to hit one of those B flat above A's, well, I was famous for those high notes, my ass hurt. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just noted so much of the so many of the interviews really didn't uh, focus much on the record itself. It was all about history, and you know, and it's just like holy shit, these stories are a million years old already. And like you said, yeah. they had done their their homework. Most of those stories are out there somewhere. You know, uh, you you can read a million interviews with you over the last twenty five years or more that that are on the internet and yeah they're on the internet and i go so we spend 20 minutes talking about the past and then i'll say do you want to talk about the new record is <laughs> not that why we were talking <laughs> yeah. so then they'll ask you one question and then go right back to the past right 
I don't get it. But that's the difference between people like Wendell, who's well-versed in knowing the history of Dawkins, or you, Chris. You know our history. Sure. But you get these young kids, and some of them are like journalists for, you know, magazines that have 100,000 followers. And I'm like, because I bet them. I didn't. I made that mistake on a couple of records where they'd send me 20 interviews and I start betting them and it says, you know, the metal shop, thrash, metal, thrash by Rob. (laughs) (laughs) And I check out their website. I go, oh, he's got a whopping 6,000 followers. Uh, No offense, but I don't want to talk to him. Right. (laughs) I mean, why? You know, I mean, what do I, I mean? And then they ask you, you know, tell me this and that and this and that. I'm like, you didn't even do your homework. And I don't want to talk about the past. It's in the past. (laughs) Well, and the thing too that they do is then you get hit with the clickbait question and that's the one that gets shopped. You know, whether it's, whether it's I'm moving to France or whether it's, Vince Neal, this or that, you know, it's whatever shit talk you did, that becomes the headline. It's not, it's not the actual questions that you asked. And that's always been my problem, I guess you could say. I don't check myself when I talk. When I talk to you guys, I just talk. Right, sure. So I did an interview three days ago, and I said, uh, you know, the world's in a bad place. You got the Hamas you got a two 6.4 earthquakes in in Afghanistan, 4,000 people dead. You got all these problems. And, you know, I go to L.A. and there's people sleeping in front of the whiskey now with these blue tarps they give them the city. And they're blue. It looks like corpse bags. And they're lined up from the whiskey all the way to the rainbow beyond to where the troubadour used to be. Uh, and I said, what's with all these blue tarps? Well, those are people sleeping underneath them. And I'm like, man, the world's really jacked up, you know? And I'm trying to talk about why I wrote this song or what wrote this song. And, and they seem oblivious to what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. It seems, you know, social media is a great thing and it's a bad thing. It does... <laughs> Like when we did Fugitive, the video, you know, we're not performing. We're in this weird, surreal environment and walking through these different environments. And and it just seems now people click on a video. Oh, New Saxon. They click on it, watch it for a minute. Next video, next video, next video. They don't even watch the whole video. So I was thinking, well, I'd, I'd like to make a video. They would stay engaged for four minutes and i don't know the world's changed and i'm an old man and (laughs) i don't live on the internet and i don't check everything which i actually did three days ago i was up late and i was just clicking on youtube and i was like there's just a million videos yeah Mm -hmm. and a lot of great bands that i liked and i check on their videos and i say good no good video cheap boring same old shit and then all of a sudden you break to a commercial and it's like uh the youngest kardashian just became a billionaire 
from selling makeup she buys in China and ships to America. I think she's like 26 or something like that. It's 27. Oh, and the young one, Kendall? Yeah, Kendall Kendall. Jenner? She's a billionaire. Yeah. Uh, and I kept looking at it. Does that say million? <laughs> no, it's billion. She's a billionaire because she put her name Kardashian on it. So everybody assumes that if I put this makeup on, I'll look like Kim Kardashian. Uh, it just freaks me out, you know? <laughs> and that's what people want to see. And I did an interview today and and I said, you know, I, I mean, what happened to MTV? You know, remember it was 24 hours a day, music mm -hmm. videos nonstop. Mick told me once that somebody had told them that they're playing Breaking the Chains every 45 minutes. I said, that's awesome because they didn't have enough videos for 24 hours. Sure. And it would be Dawkins and then Devo and then Blondie and then whoever. But now it's a uh, 90 day fiance. Yeah. yeah. And like an idiot, I actually watched her for five minutes and I went, <laughs> what's this about? Oh, you meet somebody on the internet and you 90 days you're engaged and you get married or you don't. Then you got my 800 pound life. And I look at these people. I haven't been out of bed in four years. <laughs> and I'm like, then put the hamburger down. You know, <laughs> I mean, and they even say, you know, you know, there's difference between type one diabetes like Jen has. That's genetic. Brett Michaels type one. And she has type two onset. But these ones that say I'm type two and why are you heavy? Because I eat 16 hamburgers a day and I'm dying and my liver's shutting down. I'm going to die and I got to go to uh, Dr. Hamas. And he's going to cut my stomach in half and but you got to lose 100 pounds first. And then they go to him after five months and they gain 20 pounds. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is a disease that is totally curable. Just don't stop at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of music videos, Don, I don't know if you checked it out. I know I sent you the link, but I don't know if you watch it. But speaking of old old guys and old rockers, did did you see the new Rolling Stones video for Angry? Yeah, I thought it was totally cool. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, they're jumping off the billboards. Yeah. I mean, that was fucking cool, man. You see the billboard and they come right off the billboard and and these guys are in their 80s. And I thought, what a cool video. And, I and, it's, a, and it's a good song. It's a good song. It sounds like classic stones. Yep. And, you know, the video was cool. They don't need to make a video. They don't need to do shit. You know, they've got more money they could burn. But I really dug that new Stones video sent me, and I thought, wow, this is really a real. I watched it like three times. It was yeah. cool. I, I think I watch it at least once a day. It just makes me feel good to watch. You just girl. like the girl. Who are you like, kidding? Well, who doesn't <laughs> like the girl? She's all decked out in leather and rolling down the street and big old boobies popping out the top. And yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know how they got away with that. They haven't got sued yet because. We had a conversation a year ago in the tour star, and I said, guys, whatever you do, if a girl walks into the dressing room with a short, short miniskirt and her buns are hanging out, and you 
practically see her cooch. Man, she's got her brand new boob job she's showing off, and they're hanging out. You can't say, man, your ass looks great. <laughs> or your boobs look great. And a week later, you're getting sued for sexual harassment. Yep. I mean, then don't dress like that. I mean, we're men. You know, we're dogs. <laughs> true. Very yeah. True. Well, the the fugitive video and the stones video are definitely two videos I've watched. You know, numerous times over the last few weeks. You know, because yeah, uh, it's just interesting. And and I, everybody said I watched fugitive. And I had to watch it again because I missed something. Yeah, well, there's all kinds of things going on, especially with, like, uh, you running all the old docking videos on the screens. In the background where I'm writing the lyrics and John's walking through some psychedelic neon forest. And, you know, I just wanted to make it interesting. So I had to call Tom Strickfadden, who had done Live from the Sun, at one live night. He knew us. But then we also brought in Chris Eyre, who's a famous director who does the TV show Dark Winds, you know, about the Navajo Nation and what's going on. And he's in cahoots with George R. R. Martin. And uh, I found out that George R. R. Martin, before he wrote Game of Thrones, when he was a kid, he'd, write these little, he'd read these little novels, little novelettes. And that's what Dark Winds is about. It's all these little novelettes they've you know, made into a series. And uh, Robert Redford's the executive producer. So, uh, you know, Jen was saying, because she's a Cassie director, well, call Chris Ayers and call this guy. And I go, I don't know. You know, I don't, I mean, I, we, we're friends now. And Chris said, I've done a lot of movies and a lot of stuff, but I've never done a, do- a video. I want to do a video. So the problem was Tom Strickfadden was there. And we started filming, and the very first scene when I'm sitting at the table just writing lyrics, well, that shot took one minute. They're panning in real slow, and the camera's coming in, and I had to go, hang on, guys, we need to talk. It's a four-minute song. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you just burned up a whole minute of footage. So good thing Strick Patton was there, and... He chopped it up and made it all look cool. And but uh, I was lucky to get George R. R. Martin's team with Robert Redford's company to get us into Meow Wolf. And now it started in Santa Fe. I guess now there's one in Denver. There's one in Vegas. There's one in Tech, Dallas. So it was a cool environment to film in. And anybody can do your typical performance video get on stage, lots of lights, film a singing or lip syncing, and then edit it and cut it up and throw it out there. Uh, Just like the doc and reunion video, it's just another day. That's what we did. We went on stage and filmed it and that was it, you know, and put a few special effects in there and George's head jerking around. And But I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do it. So it was a little tedious. And uh, I wanted to make a point to the label when we got over a half a million views in like three weeks. So I made my point. And then I said, let's do something really weird. Let's make the song Gypsy animated. Never done a cartoon before. 
And that girl was from Poland. I had to call her in Poland. And she actually drew that entire video. People should watch it, Gypsy. She drew it by hand on her iPad. Wow. Every frame. That must have been a lot of work. And then she got it all done. And she goes, what do you think? And I go, it's great. I love it. But it's just the gypsy and me. Where's John? Where's Chris? <laughs> Where's Mick? And she didn't know. She's in Poland. She goes, well, I thought it's just you. I said, no, I got three other guys in the band. You got to put them in the video. So she had to redo the whole damn thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we paid her a whopping 2500 bucks. Uh, yeah. And I said, ouch. I felt really bad, but it came out good. It's over 200,000. And uh, now I'm in the middle today. We were doing this song over the mountain, which is one of my favorite songs and hired an AI company that did the Queensryche video. And I like the Queensryche video. It's really, you know, crazy and robots and people's faces melting and all this. And, and he did our video and I said, no, it's just a ship sailing across the ocean. Then it cuts to the mountains. Then it goes to Shangri-La and there's John doing a solo and then it's over. It was boring as hell. So now I've gone old school and everybody said, this is not a good video, Don. Uh, as Frank, my road manager said, oh, there's a skeleton driving the ship and he's actually his mouse moving like me singing the lyrics, a skeleton. <laughs> and I said, you're joking, right? A skeleton singing me. They first tried to do deep fake to take your face and they put it on a body and they deep fake you. And, yeah. and, but it, it didn't really look like me very much. John's looks good. Looks just like John, except John being neurotic. He goes, yeah, but the, the, the part in the solo, the, the, he's not holding the guitar the way I hold it. <laughs> And I said, are you shitting me? No, the guitar's too high. And he's moving around. I said, John, stop it. You know, stop it. Gypsy, you're a cartoon, so you're fine with that. <laughs> I said, John, you want me to ditch your solo? I'll ditch it. But it looks exactly, when we get off this show, I'll send you the video of uh, that song, Over the Mountain. And John's solo part, he looks just like John, in my opinion. But John's like, the guitar's not tilted the way I tilt it. And this dude, it's animation, shut up. <laughs> you know? So that we've been working on that. And today I threw in the towel. I said, John, huh? I said, lose the skeleton, singing my lyrics. And we're going to do our typical, like the new Judas Priest videos, got the album cover in the front. And there's fire and flames coming out, Panic Attack. And right. it just shows Panic Attack album cover. And there's some animation with fire and flames. And the lyrics go across the bottom. Yeah, it's, a, it's a lyric video. That's all it's it is. It's a lyric video. And I spent all that time making Over the Mountain to try to explain the story of a guy in a pirate ship and yada, yada, yada. And there was me. It looked like me. You know, and I'm singing the lyrics. But I said, yeah, it kind of looks like me. And I said, why don't you just make it like a skeleton, ghosty guy driving the ship? But they literally put a skeleton 
trying to escape ship. And I'm like, no, that's a skeleton like you buy at the at the Halloween store. (laughs) I ditched that. I said, no, 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 no. Just erase it. Take it all out. And we're just going to leave the good parts of the video. And it's going to be a lyric video. There's some cool shit in there. You know, we, this is why I say over the mountain to find better days. And then it cuts to like this Shangri-La golden Tibetan temples and beautiful temples and their gold. And it's a really nice scene. So I'll keep that. And I called John. I said, do you really, really hate your solo? Cause he's morphing into six different guys, six different guitars. And, and he goes, my hair is curlier than that. And <laughs> I swear to God, I go, John, my hair is curlier than that. And one of those guitars I don't own. And I'm like, John, stop it, man. It's a concept. It's not the literal thing. Literal. I said, John, okay. So one of the guitars isn't one of your guitars. Well, I hold my guitar lower and, the, and that guy's got it higher. And I'm like, they don't understand. AI costs $250 a minute. When you're rendering, when you're rendering AI, artificial intelligence is 250 bucks a minute, 50 bucks a minute. And I said, look, I'll take it out, but I think it should stay in. I'll send it to you guys and get your opinion. Cause I got four more days. It looks just, they literally took his face off a picture off the internet and deep faked it into the guitar solo. It looks just like him. And his comment was my hair is not that my hair is more curly. <laughs> Oh man, I'm like, this is what I have to deal with my band members, you know? So that's coming out in a week or so. And I've decided let's just go old school. So we got seven shows to go. We're going to rent a stage like we did just on it's another day and rent a big stage and a big light rig and bring in four cameras. And we're going to pick four songs off the new album and we're going to film them and I'll lip sync them. And then Tom can do some special effects and do it cool. And that's what it's going to be for the next six months. Right on. Is there any chance that we're going to hear any of these songs live at some point or? Absolutely. Or... Okay. Trust me. I've been chomping at the bit. It's kind of like you want to have sex with a woman. And every night you go to bed and she goes, you can kiss me, but that's it. You, know, you, you can't can't touch me can't touch my kibbles and bits yet you know and that's the way it's been with this album and i get it the record company said look if you start pay- playing the new songs live which we're dying to do there's going to be the idiot you know in the nosebleed section in his iphone and he's going to record it and it's totally distorted and it sounds like crap and the next day it's up on the internet New Dawkins song, and it sounds like shit. So I I had to hold back on that. So the record company said, don't play any new songs, nothing. Just do your hits. And trust me, I did. I delivered this album over a year ago. Yeah, sure. right. This album's a year old. Mm-hmm. And they said, do not play any of the new songs. Finally, Fugitive came out. People are asking me, how come we're not playing Fugitive? So now our next show in eight days, I'm going to Wisconsin 
and then the next day Wisconsin, Green Bay, and New Claire, and we're going to play Fugitive. Okay. So that's going to be fun to play something new. But the label just put the gabosh on me. I'm playing any new songs. I get it. If you put on the song on an iPhone, brand new docking song, it sounds like shit, you know, on an iPhone. So we didn't want that to happen. So we've been holding back. So now the last seven shows coming up, starting in three days, we'll be playing a lot of new songs off the album. There's your answer. Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing that because I'll be with you uh, Friday and Saturday playing in uh, Green Bay and then also uh, Aurora, uh, Illinois, right after that. next Saturday. We're actually trying to reach the Aurora venue tomorrow or Monday morning and ask them if we can come in to the Aurora venue because it's indoors. And they got the lights and they got the PA and I'm trying to negotiate if we can go in there, you know, at 12 in the afternoon and I'm bringing in four camera people and we're going to shoot four songs off the album, just film us live doing sound check, doing the new songs. You know, if I screw up the lyrics, they can cut to somebody else, but you can see the whole band. So we're really trying to film the entire Aurora gig. And then I give it to Tom Strickfadden. He'll take it home. He'll chop it up, put some special effects, make it look cool, just like he did with One Live Night. And that's what we're trying to do in the Aurora gig. Perfect. Well, Don, uh, somebody wants to talk to you, so I'm going to take a call here. Or I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, caller. Who is this? Don Dockin. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. You know who this is, Uh, Don? I have no clue. Uh Uh-oh. Well, we were together a year ago, and we made a bet that I could get you cigarettes even though the ship was in port. Oh, yeah. I remember that. (laughs) And you did. You had, had like, didn't you have to leave the ship to get them or something? (laughs) No, I just called the concierge for my cabin, and he went and got him. Well, for those, oh, this is Tom Zutat. For those who don't know, it is the great Tom Zutat. It is, I, now I got it, Tom. This is Tom Zutat, the man. Yeah, man. man. It, it's good it's to hear you, buddy. And I, I, I love rocking with the docking. And um, I, can I join that twenty-four club? Uh, are you young enough? You know, the 24 uh, signed test pressings, I'd like to join that club because I'm going to play one of the songs on my vinyl radio show and I can only play vinyl on Capturing Lightning in a Bottle streams worldwide. It's on Sunday nights, East Coast time from 7 to 9 on KZ106 here in Chattanooga where I now live. And you play vinyl? I only play vinyl. I don't play anything but vinyl. You know what? I have to say, Tom, I, when they sent me the records, I actually went down to a shop because I had this beautiful Mac pro that I recorded my record on and my dog knocked over a glass of water and destroyed it. And I went, now I'm screwed. (laughs) I went to the guy's place and he had a turntable and I put on the test pressing. I have to admit 
there's something about vinyl. I don't know what it is, the way they cut it and they embed it into the vinyl. It just sounds better than a CD or anything. It just sounds like it was the way I intended the songs. Yeah, there's nothing like vinyl, and it even translates over the radio. So when I play vinyl over the radio, I'm giving listeners, and even if you stream it, you can, you know, you, you can just ask any smart device, you know, speaker, smartphone, just say play KZ106 Chattanooga, and up it comes. Um, and uh, as far as, like, I mean, turntables are easy to come by now. Walmart sells turntables. They've got like dozens of different turntables on the shelves down in the electronics department. And I tell you what, like middle school kids are buying freaking turntables now. You are right. You're totally right. I went a couple of weeks ago to a Walmart and Best Buy and I saw turntables. I'm like, what the hell? But it's a whole new thing. So I bought a turntable, not a $4,000 one, but the technology, what I'm, well, I'll cut it short, but, you know, you have to master the record differently because the new sound of CDs and the new grungier music and dark, they put a ton of low in. We're down 60 hertz, 80 hertz, and the needle will jump around and the needle jumps around you put the record on crank it up and the needle's popping around so well that, that that's that's why you don't want to do what Ahmet Erdogan did to Led Zeppelin too you know where Ludwig cut it it sounded amazing and um you know his his niece bought like one of those really cheap turntables and the record skipped so he had the Atlantic mastering in-house guys recut it and it sounded like crap Robert Ludwig mastered Led Zeppelin twos are selling for a hundred bucks now, even with a scratch or two on them. So, I mean, it, it's crazy. You got to get a good cutting person because a good cutting person can still get you the bottom end. That's great without the record skipping. And if they got too cheap a turntable, they just need to go buy a hundred dollar turntable instead of a $30 turntable. And uh, they won't have that problem, but I'm excited to play some of your new stuff on vinyl. And uh, I get people all the time, you know, especially new bands that don't have vinyl trying to get me to play a digital file. And I refuse to do it. That's funny you say that. Cause when I was a kid, like nine years old, probably in the sixth grade and I come home and play my 45s or a record and the, and the needle was jumping around. So I just put a couple of pennies on top of it <laughs> to make there it you go. And you know, what? when, when I get a, a warped record like uh, Alan Niven, speaking of uh, our buddies and your former housemate and, you know, manager of many great bands and inspiration to all of us. Um, My former couchmate. <laughs> yeah, he was your couchmate. And, and, and I was on the couch with you guys when you were in that big house in Redondo. Yeah. Redondo? Yeah. But yeah, anyway, he's he, he, yeah, he sent me this great white live record because he told me the rock, the version of Rock Me was better than the studio one. And the record came warped and it started skipping and we had to put like all the weight the tone arm would take to, to, to get it to track. And uh, it's just one of the craziest things that they, they ship vinyl and if it's hot outside, it'll come warped. So you got to, you know, be careful in these hundred degree days we're, we're having with all these heat waves we had this past summer. I'm sure you had some heat out your way there 
in New Mexico too. Yeah, I got I got lucky with that. Uh, my ex manager Cliff Bernstein and Peter Mensch are now the kings of rock and roll. They got Metallica, who's I remember Cliff when I picked up Cliff and took him to Troubadour to see Metallica, and he goes, "Don, this band is going to be the biggest band in the world," and I didn't get it, and I admit it. And then they op- they opened up for us some monsters. You know, and I got it. They were cool and heavy and great. And they had just done a Just For All. And now they are the biggest band in the world. Yeah, no, trust me. I'm the one who brought them to Electra before Cliff Bernstein even managed them. And I'm sure you remember when uh, I brought yeah. Cliff out because he's an old Chicago buddy of mine. And he was going to take you to lunch and I was going to introduce you to him. And uh, we had lunch in Burger King. I totally remember, remember that. Remember? Yeah, I remember when I when I got my first gold record, Breaking the Chains, Wing Gold, and Cliff said, I'm taking you guys out to dinner, I'm buying. And we thought we were going to go to like, you know, Mr. Chow's or some five-star restaurant. And we went to Carl's Jr. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, so when I introduced you to Cliff, we had lunch at, at Burger King. And then Burger I just, King, yeah. he took the band to Carl's Jr. when he got a gold record. It was kind of funny, though. And I said, why are we going here? He goes, they have a salad bar, all you can eat. And I'm like, this guy's yeah, a monster. I, I, he's crazy. Thought, he's very crazy. We going to Spago's or some huge Italian restaurant. No, he took us to Carl's Jr. because they had a salad bar, all you could eat. That's yeah. well, you got to admit, Don, I, 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 I took you to good restaurants on the electric credit card, right? Oh, come on, man. You and I had some amazing dinners together. And, yeah, you know, and you know, it's, yeah, earlier, Don, when you were you were talking about, um, you know, you know, shedding your guitars and, and, and getting rid of them except for one. And, you know, there was that one guitar that you kept like right under your bed next to the bed. And I'll never forget breaking into your house through an open window to come in and wake you up. Uh, and as you woke yourself uh, up, you did your you did your Donald Duck voices and then you pulled out that acoustic and played songs for me that were great and then I'd have to go convince George Lynch to play guitar on him. I remember that we'd sit at the end of the bed and I said, I got a couple of riffs. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And you say, that's pretty good and that's not so good. And, you know, and I wrote a lot of hits with you sitting there, me just playing a riff. And then of course, you know, I demo it and then George like, I don't want to do it. How about an infamous song? In my dreams, I wrote in Puerto Vallarta drunk on tequila. You know, and I wrote it in 20 minutes, wrote the whole song, scribbled the lyrics around a tourist magazine, went back to L.A., demoed it, went in the studio, and he cut it terribly. He played it as bad as he could. And I remember going back to you when you're the VP in Electra, and I said, I don't know, I believe in this song. And you said, well, it's a great song, but the demo's 10 times better. So I went back in the studio at Cherokee, I remember, with uh, Jeff Workman, Michael Wagner. And yep. Workman was worked on Zeppelin and everything before Roy Thomas Baker came in to keep us apart from fist fighting. And I remember you saying, this is a great song. And I said, George, either play it right or I'm playing it. And that freaked him out because he never wanted me playing guitar on, on the records. 
Yeah, that, you know, we, we had to resort to whatever um, psychological warfare we could to get the greatest performances on songs that he didn't like. Like like ballads, he wasn't that fond of Alone Again, either was he? No, I mean, he just, well, you know, George is a shredder, he's a legendary guitar player, but he's not, he, he can't arpeggiate. He can't play a slow E dum ba da da dum da da dum. He just couldn't do it. It's not. It's not in his yeah. wheelhouse. I think that uh, half of it was done by me, half by Jeff. But when he played in my dream, simple song. I mean, sorry, George. He kind of like wanted to sabotage the songs so it would make on make it on the record. And I remember we delivered the 10 songs to you that were all demoed and you as the boss of the record company, you picked what you wanted and what you didn't. And George came back and we said, you're in cahoots with Tom Zutat. He's just picking your songs. And I said, I didn't put my name on him. Nobody knows who wrote what. It could have been Jeff, could have been Mick, it could have been George. And he was really pissed that you picked like two thirds of the album was my songs. And that really pissed him off. Well, well, and I'll say this to you, Don, I did not know who wrote what songs. And as pure as I am, I only play vinyl for two hours from seven to nine on Sunday nights. As pure as I am with vinyl on Sunday nights, that's how I was in A&R. And I, I didn't want to know who wrote songs, whether they were Guns N' Roses songs, Dawkins songs, Tesla songs. I mean, I just wanted to hear the songs and I picked the songs that resonated. And, you know, I mean, you know, I want to say this about George, you know, because, you know, you guys had magic together and it had a lot of friction. And, you know, it's no different than, um, you know, Gary Richrath and Kevin Cronin. They had the same friction. And sometimes that friction leads to some good things, but it's not without a fight and a struggle. And, you know, thus it creates the divorce where you guys couldn't play together for so long. And, you know, you played you played some shows together and it's great for a few songs. And yeah, this year, you know, we all we laugh. I said, well, we're too old to argue. My hair is gray. His hair is gray. Uh, he comes out and plays two songs at the end of the show. And then the, he kind of morphed it into uh, he put another lynch mob mount coming out. I just saw on the Internet yesterday he announced that he's retiring. No more lynch mob. He's well, retiring. You know what? I, buddy, Don, I didn't see that, but I just want to say this about George because I want to give him due for being one of the only shredders in heavy metal, hard rock that plays with soul and feel because, you know, most of those shredders, they're just technical. But the reason that George worked with you is because he could shred like nobody's business, but he put heart and soul and emotion into it, except when he hated the song. And then, um, you know, we had to push him to, to cut it right. And whether it was me pushing him uh, when you and he weren't talking or whether it, it was the threat of you playing it instead of him, you know, in the end, we got great performances from him, great records. And he's one of the shredders that can play with heart and soul. And uh, that guitar with your voice was phenomenal. But, um, you know, he's not the only guy that can play guitar for you. And now guitar players even more critical because of what happened to, to your arm with that botched surgery. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, John Levin's been in the, uh, you know, band 20 years. 
and I found the right guy because he grew up, you know, in high school, John, and his favorite guitar player was Lynch. So that's why he has a little bit, he has a lot of Lynch influence. And I additionally yeah. had Beach, I had John Norum. You know, John Norum was more of a Michael Schenker style. Red Beach was more of a tapper with two hands and neck, like called Paul Gilbert. But you are right when you say George didn't go to MIT and didn't did a, get a degree in musicology. He just picks up the guitars and starts playing. And George is one of those guys that whenever it comes out of his head, that's what it is. Exactly. And that's why he's the best of all the shredders, you know, because he's got that heart and soul in, you know, in that feel. And, and, and you know, he emotes on a guitar the way you emote with your voice and your soul that comes out through your songs, you know. So, you know, that's what made it so great. And uh, I'm so excited that uh, the last album was not the last album. And I can't wait to hear this one. And, you know, it's going to be great for Dawkins fans to, to get some new music. And, you know, I run into the same thing when people talk to me, you know, about Doc and they want to hear about, you know, back in the day. And, you know, you get movies like The Dirt, um, you know, where Pete Davidson plays me in the movie. And, you know, everybody looks at that slice of the 80s. Well, heck, you and I lived it, you know. But there's a, there's a younger generation that is living vicariously through rediscovering Dawkins and rediscovering Motley Crue. And, you know, I went up to Columbus to see uh, the John Five version of Motley Crue. And, you know, uh, there was one song that John Five actually, you know, turned into a better song, which is off Live Wire, off the first album. But the one thing I noticed is that this Dirt movie really did reignite these teenagers wanting to get into Motley Crue. And it's funny, you know, even here in Chattanooga and, you know, my wife knows everybody in Chattanooga and we'll run into people and their kids will ask me about Molly Crew and Guns N' Roses and, and Dokken and Metallica. And it's just funny to see these, uh, you know, these kids get re-excited about what we did when we first met. Yeah, and, well, I mean, I see it every well, night. Too. Every night when I go on stage, I see 22-year-olds, 24-year-olds, 34-year-olds, 45-year-olds, 60 year olds, you know, and I look out in the audience and I go, wow, there's these young kids and, and older and older. And now they have this new thing now when you play a show. And Wendell can tell you because he has to babysit me to keep the nuts away from me. And uh, we have to do these meet and greets. And I'll ask these kids that are 25 and they'll say, well, I was too young to see Dawkins. I miss Monsters of Rock. I was only 12. And now I'm old enough to come see you. I just had your music. And I, I see it as a big compliment. And I'm very grateful that I've got a young audience, an older audience. And when I see them put their fists in the air and they're singing all my lyrics from a song that I wrote 40 years ago, it makes my heart warm. Yeah, there's something great, you know, even for me, you know, as the A&R person and a co-producer and all that in the studio with you and sitting at the edge of your bed while you're songwriting, there is something really rewarding about seeing this new generation of kids seem to be more into the rock that we did and we love than the generations between us and them. And it's pretty exciting. And while I'm talking about that, Don, if uh, 
if you ever see, there's a band called The Dirt, and it's a Motley Crue tribute band, and they spell it D-I-R-R-T. But the guitar player in that band, imagine if George Lynch, Mick Mars, Slash, Jimmy Page, and Eddie Van Halen were merged into one person. This kid is the most phenomenal guitar player that I think I, I have ever seen that can morph all those elements into one thing. And, you know, what's interesting about him is he's, he's from Florida, but, and so is this Motley Crue tribute man. But, but this kid is, um, he's 19 and he's about to become a medical doctor. Like he's graduating from medical school at 19. He'll be a full on 19 year old uh, Doogie Hauser, like a doctor, but yet he's a, this unbelievably great guitar player and he's way overqualified to just be playing guitar in a Motley Crue tribute band. But if well, you, you say about Motley Crue, that guy's unbelievable. The, the, the movie, the dirt, the director and producers are right now making a movie about docking. Same people that did the dirt, same director, producer, DP, and I had to go to LA and meet with them and talk to them and about, you know, stories they didn't know about. And they're making a movie, but of course it takes place in 1989 and we're all too old to play 1989. And so they actually sent Mick and Jeff and George and me pictures of like six actors and go pick the one that looks like you the most. And I talked to my girl, I said, do any of these guys look like me? She goes, no. <laughs> she goes, they don't look. Do well, you, you think that those guys did uh, the, the dirt? And uh, do you think Pete Davidson looked like me? Heck to the no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. The person they picked for you didn't look like you, but they're making a new movie for about Dawkins, about four guys that are accepted by Dawkins, and they're following us around the com country, and they want to meet us. And, and the only stipulation we had an argument about, I said, I have to have executive uh, editing privileges as the producer because I don't want uh, a movie about Doc and like the dirt where Nikki six has got a needle in his arm and he's dead and he's going to the hospital. And I, I don't want that in a Doc and movie. I just don't want well, it. Don be, let me tell you something, be careful because, I had a clause in there that they couldn't portray me drinking or using drugs. And they made a fa they made a recreation or reproduction of my Electra business card. And they had the band cutting lines of Coke with my business card. So Ouch. they tried that I was doing Coke, even though I wasn't doing it. And it didn't violate the contract because they didn't show me doing it. Well, that's what they do with the movie business, Tom. I just told yeah. them you want to make a doc and they're doing a documentary right now on Netflix about the history of Dawkins. They're making a movie like The Dirt, same people, same directors, everything. But I said... Yeah, so is it, is it Jeff Tremaine and, um, and Eric yes. Uh, yes. Olsen? Yes. And I said, but I'm not signing off on this. I want executive power. I don't want anything negative. I mean, look, if I really wanted to tell the truth about what was going on in Dawkins in the 80s, it would just be an hour of us in the back of the bus screwing girls. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I mean, you know, I mean, that's all we were doing. You know, we'd go on stage and the road crew bring all the girls back, get the models, the strippers, the runway models. And 
Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, what's really funny is, um, so they're doing that documentary. It's based on that book, um, you know, uh, with titled after that poison song and, um, nothing but a good time. Doing, That's what I'm doing. Nothing but yeah, a good time. So, yeah. So they interviewed me in a cabin on a lake in North Carolina, about five days before they uh, interviewed you out in LA and they asked me a bunch of questions about you. So I figured that they were going to ask you the questions uh, based on things that I told them. And there was some guy, like apparently he was, uh, he was on one of those like uh, ice fishing, crazy sporting TV shows that he did that show. I can't remember his name, but, but he was like, on an iPhone, uh, on a FaceTime, watching my interview from from afar, but uh, he was shooting the questions to Jeff Tremaine, so I found that interesting. But uh, then I knew five days later that they were going to be intervie- interviewing you out in L.A. Yeah, I had to drive to the uh, whiskey. They wanted to film me at the whiskey, and I drove there. I, I felt bad. Uh, the you know the camera crews and directors, and makeup people, and I was staying at my son Tyler's house and he t- he Googled into his Tesla, the whiskey. And I fell asleep in the chair and I woke up and said, what's taking so long? And I looked up and everything was in Korean. And I was like, where in the hell are we? Well, I typed in, he typed in whiskey bar and there's apparently there's a whiskey bar in downtown LA. And I said, Tyler, man, you were like 30 miles away from the whiskey at Gogo. So we had to haul ass and turn around. The, the The weird thing was downtown LA, there are people sleeping on the street, defecating, taking poos on the, it's, it's like, it's, it's like a third. third yeah, John, aren't you glad you, I mean, it's like a John Carpenter movie. Aren't you glad that you escaped from LA? I mean, escape from New York is nothing. Do you realize that the last time I was in LA, um, uh, I had uh, dinner on uh, Abbott Kinney, that really nice road with all those boutique clothing. Oh, clothes. yeah. I was born and raised there. I went to Venice High School. That was my hangout. So so after dinner, these homeless people, like, chase us to our car, and they're throwing stuff at us and screaming obscenities. And um, that was, like, the last straw for me. I left L.A. after that, and I really haven't been back except – uh, the two days before the Kiss cruise that we reconnected on and hung out with right. Wendell. But, That's why I was in L.A., but I, even my daughter who still lives there, she said, Dad, I'm glad you sold your house in Beverly Hills and Benedict. L.A.'s turned into a shithole. <laughs> yeah. Know, I mean, and, 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 you know, not to get too far down on conspiracy theories, but, you know, I like to talk uh, that uh, – that that our two hosts uh, had about uh, you know these shots and stuff and you know I, I I read a lot of things and you know I think that they'd like to pull back the, they'd like to get the shots going again so they can you know get ballot boxes put on street corners and stuff them with fake fake votes again for the next election but I'll get off of that and let's talk about music but <laughs> while I was doing the TV show Paradise City eight episodes. Um, you know, Drea DiMatteo was in it and a couple of other folks from uh, Sons of Anarchy were in it and a couple of Disney kids uh, were in it. Um, you know, it was Cameron Boyce's last thing and, you know, Bella Thorne. And anyway, 
um, Drea DiMatteo's assistant, you know, she, she was a drummer from, you know, the eighties and, you know, anyway, she was in a heart tribute band in the nineties, but, um, she went to Rouse to get some stuff for Drea and honor you guys probably read about this, but you know, she came out of Rouse and, you know, put the groceries on the seat and then, you know, she hopped in her car and a homeless guy pulled her out of her car, threw her on Hollywood Boulevard and dumped a whole bucket of his diarrhea on her face. Awesome. Oh, my God. Well, some people like that. I know a guitar player. <laughs> I know a guitar player will put a bit in heaven to get diarrhea for us. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the point is, yeah. Mendel, did you ever hear about that, that, that woman that that happened to? I, I wasn't. No. I don't, I don't, dude, I'm not an internet guy. I don't go on the internet and, but look, I'm in New Mexico. I came here to get out of LA. It's, it's too overwhelming. And now we just saw on the news the other day, there are 8,000, 8,000 illegal aliens coming over the Texas border at that one spot and they're heading for New Mexico. And, uh, I, I drive down the street and I'm like, I moved here for to be in a quaint little town and everything's changed, but I have to be careful. And so do you, I'm doing 20 interviews a day. And I mentioned interview last week and I said, and I mean it, I said, if Trump runs and wins, I'm moving to France, you know, cause I have a house there. And all these people said, yeah, man, get out of here, go, you know? So, you got to remember that half the country's divided. You got Trump fans. You got, you know, I'm not, I don't mean I'm a Biden fan. Biden, Biden is senile. I mean, he can't even read the teleprompter. Even, even listen, even my, my 90 year old dad, right. will tell you that, you know, he thinks Biden's too old to be president. But again, you know, I, I love music. I don't want to get uh, too political, but when I see, you know, universities trying to support Hamas that are chopping off babies' heads and stuff, I, I, don't, I don't get that at all. But, you know, it seems really weird to me that half this country thinks it's okay for a terrorist organization to go into a country and, uh, you, you, you know, maim innocent women and children and even babies. It's, it's unbelievable to me. That's because people are illiterate. They're b too busy watching uh, 90 Day Fiance and, uh, you know, the Jersey Shore brought back. If they did their homework and realized a mosque, tiny, tiny little strip in Israel, uh, you know, two million of them are Shiites and the Hamas are Sunnis. So and that's a radical different. Or I might have it backwards. But they are totally, you know, hardcore, the Hamas. Any country that says, like the beautiful 22-year-old girl that didn't have her, her, you have a burqa and you have a thing on your head called the hijab. And she didn't have it on right. It was crooked or something. And they arrest her and they killed her. So these people are just lunatics. You want to cover your woman up? Don't show your face. Don't show your body. Don't show me anything. These people are hardcore, Tom, and they need to be wiped out. That's my opinion. I'll probably get shot over it. 
now the, the like I said, let's 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 you know, in this country's so divided, we'll get back to talking about music and you got this great new record coming out and I'm gonna be the first one to play it on old school FM radio. It'll stream, people hear it on vinyl and uh just make sure you get enough vinyl pressed that you've got vinyl to sell at your shows because I'll tell you what We've got Record Store Day, a Black Friday Record Store Day coming up the day after Thanksgiving. And even here in Chattanooga, we got about seven record stores and they'll have hundreds of people lined up to buy vinyl. It's just insane. It's like the old days, Don, when we'd put your record out and people would line up at Tower to buy it the first day it came out. Well, I've only got 24 copies. I've earmarked one for Wendell. And Chris and I will send one, set one aside for you. I, they only gave me 24, not even vinyl. These are test pressings. These are audio oh, I love it. file, audio file, you know, high, high, high fidelity where they didn't whack the high end and they didn't whack the low end. Worried about people's needle jumping around. I have 24 copies. That's all they gave me. And they're sitting on my dining room table. So I will set one for you three guys. And I did go to a store and played it. And, you know, I have to admit, it sounds better than the CD. I mean, it's just got this punch. It's just in your face, you know. But they only gave me 25. That's all they're making. And then they said well, they might make another couple hundred down the road. But I will set one aside. So, for Don, here's, here's what you do. You tell them that you want them to, you pick the color vinyl that you want and you tell your label that you want them to do a vinyl pressing for April, whatever of 2024, you want uh, record store day vinyl. I, I tell you to do it for black Friday this year, but the pressing plants are so jammed up. Although I do know one pressing plant near Chattanooga, it's in, it's in Huntsville and I know that they've got some capacity. If you got on it uh, on Monday, your label could probably get some pressed up for record store day. I will work on that. We're only making 24 right now. They're in red vinyl and then they plan on making a couple thousand depending on the demand. But I did play the record on my headphones with all the low end, the way I wanted it and the high end. And it sounds like a second coming of Christ. So I'll save one for you. We and need it. And, and I'm going to tell you, yeah, Don, I'm going to tell you the same thing that I told Nikki Six, which is so far in 2023, Metallica have put out the best rock album of 2023. There is not one bad song on that record. And Nikki Six is trying to get a record with Motley, which John Five put out in 24. And I said, Nikki, just listen to the Metallica record. Every song is a winner. Every song counts. And that's the kind of stuff that you have to do. And I know you've worked hard on this record. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm excited to hear it. I'm going to play it on Sunday nights between 7 and 9. I'll probably play a song every Sunday uh, once I get it. But um, I was know, pretty shocked, you know, when I, I, just, I just watched the uh, X, Axis TV the other day of the reunion after 20 years that Metallica played with the San Francisco Philharmonic. And these guys are billionaires, let's face it. They got more money than God. 
and they were playing the round, and they were just kicking ass. And they're one of the reasons. Speaking of Metallica, Don, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but do you know that that Lars and Metallica, Lars did this, they own the largest pressing plant in the United States. They own it, the vinyl pressing plant. And they bought it because they never want a store to run out of Metallica on vinyl. Well, they can afford it. Those guys got a few (laughs) pennies in their piggy bank. I'll never forget Cliff, because, you know, as you know, Cliff Bernstein signed me first. And then I picked him up from the hotel and we went to the Troubadour and he says, I'm going to see Metallica. And I said, yeah, I've heard of him. I'd never seen him. And we watched him. And I remember he looked at me and he said, this band, they're playing the Troubadour. And he goes, this band's going to be the biggest band in the world. And it all came true. They are the biggest band in the world. Yep. Well, you know, I mean, listen. God bless him. Cliff started in A&R. His first signing was Rush. Yep. Right? And his signing was Def Leppard. And, you know, and uh, you're the first band that I took to him. And, I mean, I knew him when I was in high school. He was the college promotion director at Mercury Records. He was sending me free records. And I remember the day he told me he was signing his first band. And later I worked with Tom Werman. And Werman's got a book coming out. And what's funny about Werman's book is that he took Rush to Epic and they passed on him. And it's just funny that, you know, I apprenticed with Werman when he was working with you and working with. How old were you? How old were you when you signed Dawkins? 24? Uh, 21. Oh, my God. A 20-year-old punk kid signs Dawkins. And I remember after we did the Blue Oyster Cult tour, we were all excited. I had no band. I had to bring Jab, uh, George and Jeff and Mick back in. We went on tour and played with Bloister Colt, Aldo Nova. We opened 30 minutes and we sold 100,000 records at a huge arena tour. And we came back, if you remember, and your record company wanted to drop Dawkins and Motley. Well, and that was that was because uh, when Joe Smith was in the hospital getting hemorrhoid surgery, they fired him. They brought in they brought in Bob Krasnow and he said that uh, that bands like uh, Motley Crue and Dawkins were terrible and they didn't deserve to have record deals because they weren't true artists. And um, I remember it. Strangely enough, when his uh, when his son tried to sign an artist that was talking about cutting people's heads off and shitting down their necks and all this craziness. Um, I literally went to him and I said, you know, Bob, the thing is this, is that, you know, you said that you felt like artists like Motley Crue and Dawkins and even Tesla, you said he thought that these bands were like, uh, you know, they were like, uh, how do you put it? He said, you know, they appeal to the lowest common denominator of, of dudes in pickup trucks with shotgun racks in the back. And, you know, and I said to him, I said, Bob, I said, let me ask you this. So what's so much better about, you know, somebody in the hood, you know, that wants to hear rap music about shitting down somebody's neck and stuff. He said, you know, if we're going to appeal to the lowest common denominators, let's not be racist. I mean, <laughs> let's give white kids and black kids the music that they love because any music is an art form. 
wait a minute. Are you telling me there are people that are racist in this country? What? No. Come on, Tom. Let's make let's make records for everybody. Let's not discriminate. And you know, I said, you know, these these kids these kids in their pickup trucks with their shotgun racks, they deserve good music just as much as you know people that want to hear this rap music. So I said, you know, let, let's be fair about it. And next thing you know, Motley Crue are not getting dropped, and you're not getting dropped, and all these deals are going to go through. And how funny that a 21 year old kid like you saved our careers. Man, I, I, and, and, and even with Guns N' Roses, it's a big story, but I mean, they were going to drop Guns N' Roses and I had to go to David Geffen and beg him to put a video on MTV and then, and that's what saved Guns N' Roses' career from obscurity. But I you know, know all I, about I, it. I was on Geffen at that time. I was on Geffen and Nirvana and Roses and they were like, Doc, in old school, it's over. And they kind of pulled the plug on us, but well, let's forget about yeah. that. I'm going to let you go and get back to Chris and Wendell and talk some shit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, Don, it's, I, I always love connecting with you and catching up and all that good stuff. And we'll talk again soon. And uh, I'll let you guys uh, get back to, uh, you know, what you guys are up to. All I right, wish Tom. I wish I could tell the story that, you came to my house one night and we were in the jacuzzi in the back and I had a girl come over and uh, I'll keep it. Uh, let's not, let's not get too deep on that. One. No, it's not bad. It's just, you know, I left the room and, you know, and, and you were the, some girl, you were single. And, and when I remember when you came out of the room, my, the top mattress was on the floor. <laughs> and I said, Jesus, man, you guys went for it. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I wish I had your stamina. <laughs> we'll talk about it in my book. I'll let you go, Tom. I hope to see you soon. And uh All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. God bless. Lots of blessings. All right. Bye, Wendell. Uh, all right, yeah. thanks, Tom. See you, Tom. Bye bye. All right. <laughs> there goes the great Tom Zutat. Tucson. Can uh, you imagine he was 21 years old? 21. Yeah. It's crazy. I remember the day I met him, and I mean, no offense. I mean, he was a pudgy faced little kid <laughs> work, working singles in a little office with a girl that was they could barely fit into the cubicle. And I'm thinking, like, this is the guy I'm going to get a record deal for with, but I have to give Tom all the credit. I told him, can you sneak me into the office of Joe Smith? And I just, you know, it's like the movies. I crashed his office and he's like, who are you? And I'm like, uh, can you do me a favor? Can you just, can you just let me play my record? You know, just one song. Just give me one song, man. I'm begging you. And I played Breaking the Chains and he signed me. And that was because... I remember Tom said, I'll get you into his office. I take no responsibility. <laughs> if, nice. if the security guards say, how in the hell did you get in here? I won't mention your name. <laughs> <laughs> and here he was a 21 year old kid, you know, and I, people, a lot of people don't know who Tom Zutat is, but come on, Doc and Tesla, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, I mean, it goes on and on and on. 
yeah. because he had a gift. I have a gift as a singer. You you guys have gift as commentators at a radio station. Uh, Tom had a gift of hearing a good song and liking it, you know. And I've had A&R people that have turned down massive hits because they were fucking stone deaf. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know I can't say their names, but what is all this racket? It's my TV. And, you know, I know a lot of A&R people that were big shots and they play like, uh, I can't say who, but it was a song, Rosanna, uh, from Toto. Uh, Toto. Yeah. And like the whole A&R department, like four of them went, this song sucks, you know? <laughs> and one guy had to push it, which was John Kladner. And I'm like, what are these people got cotton in their ears or what the fuck, you know? <laughs> but just because you're a big shot at a record company, it doesn't mean you're talented. Right. You know, you might have fought you. Oh, shit. Hang on. I got to pee. Well, there you go. I'm just peeing in my, in my little garden. <laughs> it's, it's good for my lavender and my sage and my... <laughs> You know, well, that's, got, a, that's got, a first. They yeah. need your vitamins too. <laughs> well, that's a first. How about that? Yeah, I don't think but we've I ever had anybody take a piss on the show. I have to, uh, you know, send a copy of the record. I think, Wendell, you already have the whole record, right? I have the whole record. I've had it since last May. Yeah. And that's what pisses me off because, you know, I delivered the album a year ago. And they got a gun to my head saying, we have to have it tomorrow. And I, we went on that Kiss Cruise, you and I together. And I finished the record. And Kevin Shirley was staying up 10 hours a day, mixing it. And I give them the record, and they hold it back a year. Man, that pissed me off. I don't understand record companies anymore. It's the same with my videos. They say... Okay, what song do you want to do? I went fugitive. They go, okay, uh, you can film on Monday and deliver on Friday. Jeez. Uh, they obviously don't understand the logistics of taking editing and cutting and flow and special effects. And and I'm like, you want it Friday? We just <laughs> we just finished shooting Tuesday. It's like four days. And so I go to war with the record company. And in the old days, I couldn't because they're paying. <laughs> but these days, I'm like, no, I will give you the video when it's done. I will give you the record when it's done. And, right. and which was so weird that when I hired Kevin Shirley, who was a legendary engineer, and he, for 20 years, he had uh, Man Cave Studios in Malibu. And, up, and I'm up in Beverly Hills in Manda Canyon. I said, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go to L.A. I could drive to the studio every day, and we're negotiating the price and all that. And in this last thing, he says, well, you know, don't, I live in Sydney. Sydney what? Ohio? <laughs> no, Sydney, Australia. I went, not funny. I was thinking I was 
going to drive 30 minutes and spend every day in the studio because I'm a control freak. And it was such a bummer that when he'd send me a, a mix at three in the morning and I, my had, I had a special motorcycle sound and when it went off my phone, I knew it was Kevin. So I'd listen to it and I go, I think the kick drum should be up this much and the snare drums got a little too much reverb. Okay. That takes about 30 seconds, but not when you're Australia. <laughs> He'd make the moves. Two minutes later, he'd kick it back to me. I'd listen to it. Okay, yeah, I think you got it. Then we'd go on to the next song. And this shit went on for a month. I'd literally have my phone next to my bed. And at the end of the day, I got worried because I had 10 mixes of every song on Heaven Comes Down. One snare up, one kick down, solo a little louder. And I just went, I'm lost. So I gave it to Chris and John and BJ. I said, you guys tell me what you what mixes you think are the best. Because I'm lost, man. And I've just spent two years. In the break. I can't hear it anymore. But luckily, maybe we're on the same page. 90% of all the songs we picked of six mixes per song, we all picked the same mixes. And the weird thing it was, most of the mixes said mix one, mix two, not six, seven, eight, nine. He just <laughs> got it, you know? And it was funny calling him in Australia. And a couple of times I apologized. I, I forgot what time it was. And I listened to the mix. I called him. And he goes, All right, Dolby, it's four o'clock in the morning here. I'm not in the studio. It's the sun's not even coming up. And I'm in. Oh, it's four o'clock. Oh, I got, I'm sorry. I got my, I got my shit backwards. So I'd say, go back to bed. We'll talk when you get up, you have your coffee, I'll have my coffee. And then we go back and forth from Australia to Santa Fe, New Mexico, sending mix after mix, after mix, after mix. And I just wish I would have been there. It would have gone a lot faster, you know, but, and I, and he asked me finally, he said, I always wanted to do a docking record. And I said, well, I, I'm flattered. But I just heard the new Iron Maiden record that he had just finished. And I said, man, this Iron Maiden record kicks ass. You know, so I said, just make a sound like that and I'll be happy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, the first mix, honestly, I thought I picked the wrong guy. He sent me the first mix. It sounded like 1985 Tooth and Nail. And I was like, no. No, 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 no. And he thought that we wanted to go for the, as he called it, the classic docking sound. And I said, dude, that, that ship has sailed, man. I just want it punchy and aggressive and in your face. And I don't want any of this grunge stuff where not, I'm not knocking grunge, but they put so much low end and so much rumble I can't tell what the hell's going on. So I said, just make it loud, hi-fi, in your freaking face. So we got on the same page, and now we have Heaven Comes Down. I'm proud of it. If it sells five copies, so be it. You know, I'm not going to defend that record. It's my last record because of a lot of things. 
and I'm not going to defend it. I think this will be one of those records like dysfunctional where people will discover it, you know, and go, whoa, this is pretty damn cool. We, we like Fugitive, but as you know, Wendell, you've got all the songs. I do. I've had them since April 14th of 2022. Jesus. <laughs> and the weird thing is, you know, Dawkins was always famous for ending our albums with a burner. Tooth and Nail, Lightning Strikes Again, Till the Living End, Paris is Burning. You know, a heavy song to end the record, right? The big, ta-da, the big ending. And what do I do? I end the album with me playing acoustic guitar and singing by myself. <laughs> Santa Fe. I and, love Santa Fe. And it's very fitting. It's a very fitting end to the to the album because of it, it's very personal. It's very personal. And how do you write your whole life story in four minutes? Right. You know, people have been bugging me for 30 years to do my autobiography. And I said, I don't know. I've got a big offer to do a, rec a book. And I said, I can't because it'll be boring. Because if I tell the truth, and boy, do I have some stories. <laughs> you and I, Wendell, have talked about it. I got some stories. Everybody thinks they know everything about the dirt and Motley Crue and Poison. Uh-oh. We lost him. Yeah, he just fizzed out. Yeah, the internet up there in the mountain. Yeah, it still shows him as on, but. Well, maybe he'll come back. <laughs> yeah, it says he's in with, stream, with audio only, but no, I don't. I wonder if his laptop died. I don't know, maybe. He's walking around with it. He probably didn't have it plugged in. Probably. All right. Well, anyway, um, if was, he doesn't. That was two hours. I mean, how much more is there to talk about? Yeah. And you got Tom Zutat. <laughs> yeah. Not as bad. A, as a bonus. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. So, uh, well, there you are. There's beat, beat that. You what's it like interviewees? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did you get that record deal with when you did the Scorpions? How, how did that come around? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I'm sure you're probably right. Uh, Don's laptop probably crapped out on him. I'm thinking. Yep. I think so. All right. Well, anyway, we want to thank Don and Tom Zutat for spending two hours with us. And yes, you know, it was a nice little, I, I didn't even let you know, Tom was going to be a part of No, it. I had no idea. So I wanted to get Tom on the show with us and, you know, have Don on. And I, you know, I know with the two of them together, you would get some back and forth that, you know, is kind of yeah. a, kind of an exclusive club. Dare I say easiest interview I've done in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a break. I'm sure you probably need to pee in the bush. Oh, do I ever? I'm looking for a plant. <laughs> All right. Well, the uh, only other single available off the uh, Heaven Comes Down release currently is uh, Gypsy. So we'll we'll get out of the break with Gypsy. So right. give uh, us five tunes this time. Too, All right. Five tunes it is. And it'll give me time to go have an adult beverage. Yes, so. please. All right, well, here it is uh, from the forthcoming release, which comes out a week from Friday. Heaven Comes Down. It's docking with Gypsy exclusively here. On your classic metal show.